This is John Halsman, and welcome to the New Year's broadcast of Around the World in 20 Minutes, our flagship of John's newsletter as to how the world actually works in our new and beguiling era. Well, you can hear packing in the background, or you might as we go, because we are off to Egypt today, and we begin the new year right away with a trip. And because I'm going to be at the mercy of hotel Wi-Fi, and at one point even boat Wi-Fi, um, I thought I'd try to do this ahead of time. Uh, to keep us on schedule, and then I'll be back at my desk next week. But what a wonderful way to start the year, uh, going to Egypt uh, and traveling. Uh, it certainly broadens your mind, and beyond that, as I do it constantly, when I was asked once at Customs where I lived, I truthfully answered the BA Lounge. Uh, but for all the troubles that causes the sleep deprivation, which they don't tell you about not knowing where you are when you're asleep and wake up and trying to figure out what country you're actually in, it does give you an on-the-ground perspective that goes with my intellectual perspective, and I think is the reason our call record is so good, as a number of our competitors claim to have called the war in Ukraine and didn't. If you look, we called it within two days, and uh, we want to keep that going, that mix of history, intellectual ability, and also seeing things on the ground. And certainly being on the ground in Egypt is going to add to my education, and I'll share that with you when I get back. But... Before I go, I, I had to finish the teaser we had started, why Donald Trump will not be the GOP nominee in 2024. I don't want to leave you hanging. Um, and we always do this. We make three basic predictions. And then after we're done with that, we have an upset special. And uh, this year, it's why Trump will not be the nominee. One of the things about Trump that's interesting is it reminds me of the great story, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. And I remember as a child, um, you know, listening to the orchestral version of The Boy Who Cried Wolf, and it's wonderful, with my mother. And, uh, you know, every character had a little, Ari is too strong, but, you know, a, a signature theme. And I, it was one of my favorite stories, because the point is the boy is wrong, and over and over again he, say, he predicts something that fails to pass, and so people begin to believe it can never happen, and then the wolf eats everyone. And the reason for this is that he was wrong before. And this is the Donald Trump story. His obituary has been written more times uh, than a cat with nine lives. And so to say yet again, this is the end for him, everyone will say, yeah, 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 John, um, as, though, as though this were you know, something that I had conjured out of whole cloth. And the reasoning for this is that most of the people who are against Donald Trump uh, are against him and think he will fail because they want him to fail. It's wishful thinking. It's one of the great unsung problems with my profession that people confuse what they want from what will be. And I'll give you an example where I didn't do this. I knew the Iraq war would be a disaster. I resigned over it. One of the best and bravest things certainly I've ever done in Washington, giving up a very lucrative job to do so to do what I thought, as Thomas More said, is the right thing to do. I was desperate, like Thomas More, to avoid it in A Man for All Seasons, but I couldn't. But at the end of it, I knew the war would take place. I knew the Europeans and the UN certainly were too paltry to stop it. I knew it would happen. I knew it would be a disaster. And I knew the very same neocons who had urged it, David Frum, Robert Kagan, and Applebaum, would have no shame and would continue to urge warlike behavior on us after the cost of tens of thousands of lives. And all that happened. It doesn't mean you don't swim against the tide. It doesn't mean you, you don't do your best to prove yourself wrong, but you separate what you hope for, which is that we didn't go to war, from what was likely to happen. I was way too junior to stop the war. Only Colin Powell and George Tenet 
could have stopped the war. The most popular man in the country at the time, the Secretary of State and the head of the CIA. And if they had said there are no weapons of mass destruction, that probably would have put paid to the war. Everything else was noise and didn't matter. I did the right thing. I'm proud of what I did. It opened up my work uh, to caring about telling truths. And now that I'm in a position to go back to Washington, hopefully in the not too distant future, I'll do so from a position of strength and having done the right thing. But I never for a second confused doing the right thing with stopping what was likely to happen. I was at Thermopylae. I was the Spartans. I might slow things down. That was the best I could hope for, but that was about it. And so you have to be very careful not to confuse what you want from your predictions. And that's why so many people now, for instance, say the war in Ukraine will come to an end. Because in Europe, it's certainly what they want, but it's not what's likely to happen. And you have to be very careful not to do this. Most of the people who have written Donald Trump off desperately want him to fail, desperately want him to fail. And so they've gotten it wrong. But I'm following the tea leaves here as to why Trump will not be the nominee. And here's why we have this as our upset special. One, he's not campaigning as though he wants to win. Uh, remember last time, Donald Trump in 2016, when he came off that elevator, uh, ran a very unorthodox campaign, but ran hard. He took on 17 members of the GOP establishment, and he took them all. And he ran a campaign where he relied on notoriously for Trump is frugal, if not miserly, and he ran a campaign where he got all his free publicity from Fox News, quoting him directly, and then the rest of the channels, the mainstream media, who hated him, but also live in a symbiotic relationship with him, quoting him accurately. So he had all this free media for whatever he said on any given day. It was a totally unique way to run for president, and it worked very well. He went over the heads of both the establishment and the mainstream media who parroted him, got very high ratings hated what he said, but loved the ratings and kept quoting him. And in fact, they still keep quoting him. That's not what he's doing this time. Uh, he quietly, you know, in a very, to quote him, low energy speech in Mar-a-Lago in Florida, declared that he was running for president. And the point of this was to scare off possible people running against him and also to perhaps scare off prosecutors from going after him. And I think one congressman has endorsed him up to now, maybe one senator, Three members of his family, for goodness sake, were not there. And crucially, Ivanka wasn't there, who was actually very involved in making decisions. And she's made it very clear she's sitting this presidency or this run for the presidency out. And it's going to concentrate on her family and other things. So he doesn't have the unified backing. He doesn't have any institutional support, despite having run for president and been president. This is amazing. And a lot of the big donors are beginning to, to desert him who had backed him before and are saying they're open to someone else running. And in the case of someone like Elon Musk, he said straight out, I'd rather Ron DeSantis were the candidate. So one, he's not running as though he particularly wants to win. He ran to scare people off, and I think he's failed to do that. So there's that. The second thing to bring up about Donald Trump is you have to understand how the GOP nominating procedure works. The Democrats tend to have primaries where they proportionally divide the vote. So the primary goes on and on and on. The great example of this is Obama and Hillary, that Obama kept winning primaries with 55% of the vote or less. Hillary would, would lose with 45% of the vote or more. And at those rates, why not keep running if you're Hillary? Why not keep going? Because something might happen to Obama. You're only a couple points down. And so the Democrats have these endless primaries 
which I think is a huge mistake. The Republicans try to get in line quickly. The Republicans often have winner-take-all primaries, so Donald Trump regularly in 2016 won primary after primary with 30 to 40 percent of the vote, and that's where his base support is still at. He famously said, you know, 35 percent of the country would support me if I shot someone out in Manhattan, and that's about right. 35 percent are, you know, diehard Trumpers, and they will vote for him. And so the key question for the GOP nominee when this was divided by 16 other people, that was more than enough for him to win state after state after state and very quickly have an insurmountable lead of delegates in a winner-takes-all system. So the key to stopping Trump is to have a very few candidates run in a meaningful way. If there are two other nominee, possible nominees and, and Trump gets 35%, yeah, you can beat him. If there are five, seven, nine other candidates who are viable, Trump will win as he did last time in 2016. And I think that everybody, particularly the GOP veterans, understand how this works now. And because of this, you're not going to get 789. A key point to decide if I'm right about this is early on, after Iowa, after New Hampshire, after South Carolina and Nevada, before Super Tuesday, do you see a moving out of candidates who, for whatever reason, wanted to run for president but didn't catch fire? And now they move out so that you're down to Trump and then one other candidate or possibly Two other candidates in that environment, Trump will lose because although 35% will die for him, an awful lot of people, and this will lead me to point three, don't want him to be the nominee this time. And so the key question is basically one of the mechanism of how Republicans elect a president, which is winner takes all, and limiting the number of possible viable nominees against him. And I think everybody's now aware of that after Trump stole a march on everyone in 2016. It's unlikely that happens again. I do think there's a winnowing out. And you'll know this, a key political risk moment that will look at a tipping point, a hinge point, which, as you know, is how we determine what goes on. A hinge point is after these four, first four primaries, New Iowa's a caucus, the New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Nevada, do we have a moving out of people? And if we do, Trump is likely to lose. If we have five or seven, he's likely to win. And that's just math. And uh, that's a key point. But third, for the first time in memory, Donald Trump is not leading polls to be president. And there's been an era of inevitability about Trump that an awful lot of party establishment people who whisper darkly to me over drinks in Washington and don't like the man personally, uh, worry about where he's taking the country, but don't want to get in the way of the party who's likely to renominate him both for their job security, out of plain cowardice that they'll be tarred for doing it, because Trump is nothing if not a ferocious counterpuncher. Uh, they're worried about that. And then they're just worried about, you know, never having access. In Washington, it's all about, were you in the room? Do you know the people who matter? Are you around the people who make decisions? In other words, Washington, for all its supposed sophistication, is quite a lot like high school. Who are you seen with matters. And they don't want to lose that access, even if they don't like Donald Trump himself. And so this has been the narrative up to now for really the last, what, two presidential runs, 2016, 2020. But now it seems to be cresting and the party's fever about Trump is abating. And these people who never liked him are beginning to come out of the woodwork. And the reason for this, for point three, is that he hasn't delivered on the most basic thing you have to deliver for, for the party establishment to follow you. You have to win. Donald Trump said in 2016, we'd all get tired in the Republican Party of winning. We'd be winning so much it would get boring. And people really liked that. He seemed to have the magic touch. 
He not only won a nomination, he had no business winning and was an underdog. I think when he started third or fourth in a new TV contract was what he was looking for. But like a lot of populists, as he caught fire, he sensed the mood changing in a really fundamental way and was right to do so and rode that wave. And while he was riding that wave, he then ran into Hillary Clinton, who was declared the likely winner a week or so before the election. The New York Times, the always wrong New York Times, said Hillary was diverting money to congressional candidates. It was so in the bag. And then he had this vast upset and beat her in one of the great upsets of all time. So the upset of winning the nomination and then winning the presidency put paid to the fact that he knew something the rest of the GOP did not. He knew how to win. He knew how to reach these lower middle class voters who really had lost patience with both parties. They'd traditionally been Reagan Democrats or more likely Democrats when Reagan wasn't running, but they had been forgotten in the era of globalization and so disheartened that most of them weren't voting. They now came back in droves and voted for Trump. And this was the magic sauce, the secret sauce, and the difference in terms of his victories. And that was the narrative for a long time in the party. But that's not the narrative now. Why? Time has moved on. History, history, history. And what do we see instead? We see Donald Trump getting shellacked, to use Obama's word, in the 2018 midterms, which is normal, but he lost. However many times he says he doesn't, didn't. Uh, Trump can't in insist away reality, much as he tries. Facts are stubborn things, to quote Ronald Reagan. And uh, Donald Trump doesn't like facts when they don't go his way. But you can't just insist they don't exist. Pout and they go away. They don't. 2018 happened. 2020, he lost close but clean to Biden. And in 2022, despite having a very favorable headwind with Biden's ratings uh, below the 40% level at which presidents are having to prove they're not dead and are relevant, uh, Biden somehow, despite cost of living crisis uh, that he had helped fuel by spending money like a drunken sailor and putting gasoline on the fire. Despite that, despite the unpopularity rating, despite the debacle and leaving Afghanistan right to go, terrible way to go. Despite all this, and in midterm elections where historically the party in power after coming to power runs into a huge problem two years in as the country corrects. Despite all these facts, uh, the, the Republicans barely scraped a majority in the House and actually lost a seat in the Senate. And part of the reason for this is that Trump picked candidates, you know, celebrity candidates like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania when he lived in New Jersey, Herschel Walker, maybe the worst candidate ever who's against abortion, except when it comes to his girlfriends. You could go on and on and on. And he picked terribly. And to show you really where the tide should have been, Look at the governors who did so well, Republican governors who rolled up their sleeves and got things done. Governor Abbott won in Texas overwhelmingly, Governor DeSantis won in Florida overwhelmingly, Governor Kemp, who Trump tangled with over the Georgia recount, won overwhelmingly, and last year Governor Yunkin turned a blue state, Virginia, red. So in all these major states which matter, Virginia, Georgia, Florida, and Texas, you have Republicans win the governorship. So that is totally normal totally in bounds with what normally happens two years into a presidency. And yet the Senate was lost because Trump refused to spend money on candidates when they were losing by very narrow margins they lost. And let's remember that it still was by extremely narrow margins where his spending money might have made a difference. And yet he refused to do that, saving it in a selfish way as ever for his own presidential run. At the same time, he picked these horrible candidates who really shouldn't have been wanting Herschel Walker, my favorite moment, telling me he preferred werewolves to vampires. These are serious times with serious problems, and we need serious people to address them. 
and Trump is in danger of being seen as unserious. So he managed to botch a Senate race that the Republicans had no business losing. So to sum up, he loses in 2018, he loses in 2020, and he helps the Republicans lose a winnable Senate in 2022. Where's all this winning that the Republicans were promised? Where's all this winning? And so party regulars who bend with the wind, and far too many people in Washington are cowardly. They would say they're opportunistic. I would say they're cowardly. Probably it's a mix of the two. They bend with the wind, and the wind is for the first time not blowing in Trump's direction because he's not doing the one thing you have to do. You can be horrible, eccentric, do things differently, mock the party establishment. All that's fine if you win. If you don't win, you're not going to be around for long. And so Trump's era, era about him of, of inevitability, of invincibility, the invincibility is gone. And so we now begin to see our Republicans who are establishment types and money types who never liked the guy now have reason to explain why they don't like him. Simply, he isn't winning. And then the last reason I think Trump will not be the nominee is that in Governor DeSantis, you have the beginnings of a viable opposition. DeSantis, uh, as a candidate, ticks an awful lot of boxes. He served in Iraq and won, I believe, the Bronze Star. It might have been the Silver Star for gallantry. But he served in the military, whereas Trump evaded Vietnam through bone spurs. Like many people of his era, Bill Clinton leaps to mind. He got out of the Vietnam draft, whereas DeSantis actually served his country. For a Republican Party that is still strongly pro-military, this is a huge plus. DeSantis went to Yale and Harvard, so you can't say he's not a serious guy. That is a huge plus. DeSantis has actually accomplished things as governor of Florida, a real state, a swing state that he's turned red, and in taking on the woke Disney Corporation, in bucking the trend about COVID and Florida economically doing better than much of the rest of the country because he refused to follow the egregious Dr. Fauci and his foe science going his own way. Uh, DeSantis actually has accomplishments, legislative accomplishments next to his name. And then beyond that, he's a winner, back to winning. Last time out with Trump's help, he barely won the governorship by about 0.5%. This time for re-election, he won the governorship by 19.5%. Overwhelming, a thumping, a stonking. And this makes DeSantis look awfully good. So military man, Normal, non-edible relationship with his family in a non-creepy way. This, this after the years of Trump's oddness seems very, the soap opera seems awfully refreshing. Uh, military hero, normal family relationship, telegenic wife, nice little kids around him. He actually seems to know their names and care about. This seems rather good. Um, actual legislative accomplishments, and he's a winner. I mean, this is manna from heaven. And the chance to run against Joe Biden, who will be 147 during the next presidency. And Joe Biden will be unable, as during COVID, to hide in his basement or have the left-wing media ask him what his favorite ice cream flavor is. I'm not making this up, rather than real questions about what's going on in the world. And in a debate between an articulate, able, flexible, thinking on his feet DeSantis versus a slow, addled Biden, there's no doubt in my mind that Biden would run rings, uh, would, would, sorry, DeSantis would run rings around Biden. As I've said before, the way to think about it is that the two 
up to now putative candidates for president in the Republican and Democratic Party are both incredibly unpopular, the two least popular frontrunners since Gallup polling began in the 1920s. Whoever gets rid of their succession problem and elects someone who isn't one of these two guys is likely to win next time. And in this case, that means if DeSantis wins the nomination, he's likely to run rings around Biden. So for all these reasons, and then you can add in, Trump is an old man, actuarially, one doesn't wish ill to anyone, but something could happen to him more likely than to DeSantis, who is a young man in his 40s, Trump's in his 70s, notoriously eats horribly, shouts at people, he, he's cruising for a stroke, and one doesn't wish this on anyone, but his health also must be an issue, and he seems much more low energy than before, and one wonders if age is just catching up to him as it already has to President Biden. We need someone who's president who can think on his feet and isn't aged and addled and limping through the job. The country is in too much peril to just settle for that in either party. And so there's that as well. Trump also has problems beyond his health, beyond his age, beyond all the things I've said, with criminal indictments. And Yes, MSNBC has made a career out of saying the walls are beginning to close in on Trump, and they never have, but he's beset by legal woes, and even if he avoids jail time, there are issues about him tipping the scales in Georgia that have to be dealt with. The January 6th committee has to be dealt with, and then there are issues as basic as fraud with his company that's being dealt with. This is going to keep the man tied up in court one way or the other through his representatives, and it's going to dog him as time goes on. And even if none of this leads to an indictment, let alone jail time, and we're an awful long way from that, let me be clear, this persistently will be dogging him as this goes along. So for all these many reasons, I think this time is different. And Peter is right to see the wolf because the wolf at the door for Trump is the end of his domination of the GOP, which ultimately in electoral terms for the Republican Party is a very, very good thing. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. I winged that, but I couldn't leave you hanging about why Trump will not be the GOP nominee in 2024. Uh, you can take that to the bank. It's one of our major calls for the year, and we'll follow this through, obviously, as we go along. Sorry I have to leave. For those of you who haven't subscribed, please do so. And for those of you who have, make your New Year's resolution to give. We're asking only $70 a year, $7 a month, or $70 a year, and we will keep giving you this cutting edge on the money unbeatable call record for political risk in the world, and we'll have fun in doing it. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll try to report back from Egypt, but if not, I will next week for my travels beginning in this year as we share this travel schedule, which will be manic beyond belief, but fascinating beyond endurance together. Thanks very much.